He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Before we all sit down, shall we share a word of prayer? Father, thank you. Your word says that your word is the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. The world is a dark place, but your word gives us light and lightens our path and causes us to walk. Deliver us from the deception of the enemy that makes us turn away from your word. Help us to embrace your word with grace, humility, and meekness and to accept the engrafted word of God with meekness, which is able to save our souls. Lord, let your entrance in our hearts and the entrance of your word bring light to our lives and help us to be more like Jesus. And Father, for the higher reason of our marriages, may our marriages lead to stronger children, Christian children, Christian nations, Christian communities, where we can take over and be true light and salt so that the kingdom of God may be extended. Thank you for answered prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we sit? Well, we are all welcome to the third edition (laughs) of Modern Marriage. Lately, I have been very burdened about this whole institution of marriage. Um, What makes my heart bleed is that Christians are living anyhow, thinking that, some of them think that they are having fun. Some of them think that not being subject to the word of God, the will of God, means you are free. But it actually means you are in bondage. And we are so imprisoned by our various lusts that Satan has kept us there. And the Bible says that the end of it is death. That there's a way that seems right. You see, so even in marriage, there are ways that seem right. I mean, we import the things of the world and we say, you know, when you are nice, she will take you for granted. Or when you are nice, he will take you for granted. Or if you submit, it means you are inferior. And if you submit, it means the person will treat you like a dog. And these are all things that the world keeps hammering and it has crept into the church. 
at first, if you came to the church, your marriage was secure. Now, when you come to the church, your marriage rather is at risk. Yes. Because all sorts of things, you know, that shouldn't be. And um, I think that as the body of Christ, we seem to be losing our way. And we think that God made marriage, but it's so difficult. And God didn't know that it would be so difficult. Or it wouldn't have been so difficult, but for the kind of woman or man God gave me. You have become like Adam and Eve, the woman thou gavest me. When God gave him uh, Eve, he was very excited. But when there was trouble, then he started to point fingers at God that, you know, everything was okay till you introduced this species onto this planet. And I think that we we'll need to go back to the Bible and build the right foundation. Because we are not spiritual. So we are not seen into the spiritual world. We are not um, processing spiritually. Everything's fleshly and as the eye sees, just like the world. But what it is is that Satan knows where to hit. And he knows that if he hits marriages, he doesn't have to do much in terms of the children and all that. It will be taken care of. Because when he hits the marriage, invariably somebody will say you know i've had enough and i'm going and that's what satan wants because he's been waiting for that space to be created and that space is not going to is not being created so he creates a lot of pressure and many christians are not led by the spirit of god but they are led by the amount of pressure they are under so then we move out of the pressure zone so called and then that gives Satan access into our lives. Sometimes it gives access to him into your ministry. Sometimes it gives access to him into your personal life. You are there and then now you say, oh, as she's gone, Lady Reverend, I feel a lot of peace. Now I'm looking for a replacement. What you don't know is that you are just replacing a problem, but you are not replacing a person. This person had problem A. The one you are going to bring has problem Z. But you think that because you are fixated on problem A, when you meet this one with problem X or Z, and A is not there, you say, oh, I have overcome. But as a marriage goes, so you say, hey, I didn't know there was a Z in the whole thing. And it's like a soccer match, and we are just dribbled. And then from there, when the person moves out, your children now, statistics have shown that majority go into certain difficulties. Some children become drug addicts because they can't handle what is happening. Some children become affected because they are also going to take the same thing into their next generation. So what, what happens is that we are doing Satan's work for him. And he has employed us fully. And we are happy to be employed by him because his tricks are that um, this person is some way. And it's true, it's a fact. So come out. That is the way. But God said, I don't permit it except on the grounds of infidelity. And then even then, mercy can still prevail. But we don't look at that. 
we look at our own courses. So six weeks, you say you are going. Six months, you say you are going. I personally know somebody who divorced his wife when he was 85. And the wife was 80. I know them personally. And the wife also went that it's okay. 50 something years. But as this has happened, he has lost all his five children in terms of relationship. He lives in a big mansion. He has nobody in it because he's abroad. And I mean, when it's winter, people don't find it so easy to come and visit you. So as he's in this, he owns so many things. He has nobody to leave it with. He has nobody to give an inheritance to because he doesn't talk to all his five children. Recently, he has checked himself into a nursing home. And whenever you call and say, hmm, my children, I don't hear from them all. This, uh, but he didn't see, or he still doesn't see that. It started from a certain place, you know. But if perhaps you had had the patience of Job, I'm not saying, the Bible says, remember the patience of Job. Perhaps if you had had the patience of Job, you would still be with this, your 80-year-old wife and your 85-year-old self. And it may not have been as bad. So what it is, is that Satan has a high agenda, high-level agenda. And we are seeing low-level things and responding low-level. And then in the end, nobody wins. Everybody loses. And Satan's main aim is to tell the world that, you see these church folks, the things they preach are not true. The word they say is not true. And the God they follow is not practical. So why do you also want to be born again? Why? Is it worth it? So the deception is at another level. But when the light of God comes, it shines. And I'm comforted because the Bible says the light shines in darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. Sometimes in my little world, I feel, oh God, what's happening? Darkness everywhere. I feel overwhelmed. But then this verse makes me know that darkness will never overcome light. And therefore the word of God, his presence, and all that Jesus stands for, because he says he's the light of the world, will overcome every form of darkness in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I pray that, you know, the Bible says, receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your souls. It didn't just say receive. Receive with meekness. Meekness means you are tamely subject to injury. It means that when you are even injured or something is painful, you are tame about it. You are not wild about it. You are tame. And that can only come through the Holy Spirit. That is why meekness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when the Bible says, receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. Look, it takes meekness to accept, to forgive. It takes meekness to flow with the person who you don't believe in anymore. It takes meekness to be kind to somebody you feel is not kind to you. The world is kind to the people that are kind to it. But you as a child of God, you live in a different world and you have to embrace that different world in Jesus' name. Amen. I also think that one of the things 
worrying us is the inability to crucify the flesh. Excuse me. Christians are used to casting out everything. So sometimes they want to cast off, cast out their own flesh. But God didn't say cast out your flesh. He said crucify. And when you crucify your flesh, you take it to the cross. Not somebody taking for you. You take the flesh to the cross. And you climb on the cross yourself. And you open your hands like this. And you say, put a nail on the left. Oh, you forgot about the right. And what about my feet? And what about my head? The crown of thorns. But we are not ready to be crucified in our marriages. Because, as I always say, when you read the books, you, you, you watch Kumkumbaja and all this, there's no crucifixion. But in our walk with God, there's crucifixion. And there's no better place to teach you crucifixion than marriage. Amen? Amen. So those of you who are, not be, who are not married yet, look, are you sure you want to climb this cross? Jesus said, take up your cross. I always say most of us, the only cross we know is the jewelry. But he wasn't talking about jewelry. He was talking about the literal cross. So we need to go up that cross. The cross means sometimes you are falsely accused. The cross means sometimes you even lose all your reputation. You say something and your spouse doesn't believe it. For no reason. So I don't believe it. He rather believes maybe his workers... He believes the house boy doesn't believe you. And then you say, you know, if you don't believe me, I'm out of here. After all, I have things to do. All these are true, but it is not Christ's way. The person does not talk to you. It's not nice to you. And yet when he comes, he expects to eat. How? I mean, logically, it doesn't make sense. But the Christian way, it makes sense. Amen? Amen. The person, whenever you want to flow in the bedroom, she says no. Somebody told me it was his wife's birthday, and they went out of the country just a few days ago. When they went to the country, out of the country, you see, most of the time, the guys feel that the woman's birthday is for them to be happy in the bedroom. And the woman doesn't see that as a gift to her. Do you see so? Well, he thought that they were flowing. So the birthday, they went out for dinner. And then when they went home, he was trying to do his best. That mommy, kutuku blows a bomb. You will never believe it. I said, hey, your wife, who is her pastor? He was quiet. Ah... We are in the church, but I don't think she has a pastor. I said, who does she listen to? Uh, all these things you are saying, mommy. I can't point to anybody that she listens to. I said, it seems that your wife, she does as she pleases. He said, yes, including giving me the blues. <laughs> now, you wouldn't expect this from a Christian spouse. When he says the servant of the Lord must not be a striker, you won't even think a woman can be a striker. You know, but this is what he's going through. And he told me that on his wedding day, 
They went to this beautiful hotel. They ran the bath. He had arranged for it. They put petals and everything. When they got to the room, no, his new bride was in a mood. So she went to the bathroom and unplugged the bath. I said, Wait, so, uh, uh, she said, unplugged the bath. So all the water, all the fragrances they had put, it just came to pass. And then after that, he said, oh, can I help you with your zip? So she did her thing. And then after that, she had a quick bath and then she slept. No action, your wedding day. So they came to church the next morning. And they said, shall we call Mr. and Mrs. this? How was it yesterday? And before then, when they sat in the car, the wife said, when we go to church and they ask you, you better say it was powerful. (laughs) This is not a myth. I know them. You better say it was powerful. So he also was called up. And they said, how was it? He said it was powerful. So now even in my church, when they call people, how was it? I don't believe them. <laughs> Based on this story. You know, so from day one, as soon as you finished wearing the gown, Christ is not in you anymore. And everything is about you, your comfort, what you want, your anger, your temper. Your... So what is the being born again about? And what is the Christian marriage about? And where is the Christ? But you are very active in church. Oh. If we ask your pastor, he will say you are one of the best sheep. But at home, you are a hyena. You are not a sheep. And I told him that so much has gone on. And now I am going to venture to talk to your wife. Because I feel that she's shepherdless, pastorless, wordless, holy ghostless. Everything is about how she feels, what she wants. It can't be. It can't be that way. Where is the Christ? And where is the cross? Amen? So we really have to be Christians. That is the problem. There is no Christian foundation. We lead secret lives. We hide so much. You know, I tell people that, you know, from my personal point of view, it's not necessary to snoop. You know, people are looking at phones. Where is he gone? What? Hey, are you a personal Holy Ghost? You'll be tired, though. But often, what God wants you to know, He Himself has a way of revealing it to you. Amen. And then from there, you ask him, Lord, what should I do next? So I pray that as I speak, I'm going to speak from the word of God. But (laughs) if you don't regard the word, then it's a waste of time. Really. It's a real waste of time. Because it's not like the world having a counseling seminar or marriage seminar. How to communicate. How to, the world uses its own Bible. But we have the written word of God, the infallible word of God, the word that when heaven and earth passes away, that word does not pass away. That is the word that God is seeking to bring to us this evening. Amen. You know, the Bible says, and this one did what was right in the sight of God. Many of us don't live in the sight of God. 
We live in the sight of men. King Akish told David, oh, my men say that I shouldn't employ you in my army, but in my sight, everything is all right about you. But that was in his sight. David was just pretending to be a madman and all that. In Akish's sight, he was a right person. But behind the scenes, it wasn't so. And many of us are like that. We lead dual lives. Affairs everywhere. Sometimes worse than the world. Worse. And then you say that you are justified. The reason why we got born again is so that Christ will come and live with us, in us, and empower us to live a spirit-filled life. Amen. Amen. So when I counsel people and they say, Lady Reverend, it's very hard. Did God say it will be easy? That's why he says, crucify the flesh. When the flesh is crucified, it cries. Even Jesus, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It means that when you are on the cross, it's not easy. But after the cross, there is a resurrection. And there is new life. And God will honor his word if we receive grace to obey him. I'm not saying it's easy. There are times I look up and I tell God, it's not easy at all. But if you will give me grace and wisdom to follow or to hang in there, I will. It's okay to acknowledge to God that it's not easy. But it's not okay to say, because it's not easy, I've thrown in the towel. It's not supposed to be like that. Well, this evening, I want to speak to you about love redefined. Love redefined. Now, I've preached about love redefined. Taking my text from 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Which says that love suffers long and is kind. But this evening, it's still love redefined, but love redefined part two. And I'm reading from... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, all right. And it says that, let me go to King James. Love does not insist on its own way. I think that's amplified. And King James says in verse 5, Love doth not behave in itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own, and is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. Amen. So this evening I'm talking about love does not seek her own. Amen. Now when you look at the amplified version, it says love, God's love in us, does not insist one on its own rights 
Two, or its own way. Three, it is not self-seeking. Amen. So when it says love does not insist on its own way, it means that you are not insisting on your rights, on your own rights, on your own way or manner of doing things, and you are not seeking things for yourself. Now, when we read about love, watch love movies, hear about love stories, it doesn't tell us even that love suffers. And then moving on from that, it doesn't tell us that love does not insist on its own way. Now, what makes us want to insist on our own way? When we know we are right. Amen, ladies? Isn't it? We know that what we are saying is true. We know that what we are saying, that if you do this, it will end up this way. We know that we are right. And we don't see why you don't see. Amen, ladies? And then the brothers will also say, I'm the head. This is the decision I've taken. This is what we are doing. And it's become arbitrary rule. <laughs> arbitrary rule is when no other uh, person's opinion is considered. You just say, we are doing this. I believe that in leadership, there are times like that. But a good leader takes in all the information and then takes a decision. Hey, Reverend, why do you say that? Because Almighty God says, come, let us reason together. Am I somewhere? Almighty God is calling me. Come. And when I come, yes, yes, Lord. Sit down. Let us reason together. Why should God call me? Huh? How much sense do I have? Almighty God is calling me. And he doesn't say, sit down, let me tell you a thing or two. Or sit down, let me tell you my decisions. He says, sit down, let us reason together. Have you not read that his ways are not my ways? My thoughts are not his thoughts. Why would such a God want to reason with me? Because when he reasons with me, he adds to my self-worth. He adds to my self-esteem. And he makes me feel that I also matter. And that what I think is also sensible. And that makes me easier to lead. Brothers, are you getting the revelation? And God adds that though your sins be as scarlet, Oh, so you know that I'm actually wretched? You know that I don't have much to offer? You know that my sins are like scarlet. You are so pure. You've never sinned before. And you are calling a wretched, broken sinner like me to sit down so that you can reason with me? I mean, how much else can God do? And then he says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be white as wool. 
When God calls me to reason with me, he's telling me, I am not blind to your faults. I'm not blind to the fact that you are not perfect. I'm not blind to the fact that you are a work in progress. I am not blind to the fact that you don't deserve my mercy nor my grace. But there's something called mercy. And there's something called grace. And that is what I'm extending to you. Now, if you are the head of a house. And everything is arbitrary rule. And you never say to your wife, come, let us reason together. Even if she's foolish. Where are we going? Amen. God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, oh, um, if you find 40 people, will you destroy? God says, no. Okay, let me ask you, what about 30? No. What about 20? No. What about, okay, let me draw near. What about if you find 10? A modern husband would have said, what games do you think you are playing with me? Do you know what Sodom has done? When I take a decision, then you are bringing other things. I said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Then you stand and you ask me 40. What game is that? When I say 40, you push it to 30. When I say 30, it's called intercession. And it's called reasoning together. Amen. So let us rightly divide the truth. Because we can be on a road that is not divine. Now, I am not saying that God discusses everything with us or a leader should discuss everything with you. But I have found that when you include your spouse in something, on either way, often the other person feels valued and the other person feels um, respected. And usually, it helps the solution. Amen? Now, when God calls me, come, let us reason together. It doesn't mean that he's also going to shut up so that I have my way. Amen, ladies? But it means that I'm still going to recognize that he's Lord. But he's going to listen to my heart. And then after that, like Abraham and God, the final decision lay with Abraham. Because you can't have two captains in a ship. It will always be one. If you have two captains, somebody will say, let's turn left, let's turn north. Let's... It will be mayhem, it will be confusion. So yes, you bring your opinions. But at the end of the day, one decision is what will reign. Amen? And therein lies the problem. Because sometimes we look and we say, Lady Reverend, I know I'm right. And Lady Reverend, I was smarter than him. We were in the same class. And I was smarter than him. It's not about being smarter. It's about who God chose to be your head. And that's why those of you who are not married, when you are choosing your head, choose it properly. Because when the head doesn't work, the neck, the hands, they, they all work in terrible places. Just because the head is not working properly. Amen? So your head affects the whole body. And we thank God that our head is Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you must choose your head properly. 
Love does not insist on its own rights, its own way, and is not self-seeking. The Message Bible says, love does not fly off the handle. But you, you easily just get provoked, you are going. Now, why is it that we insist on our own way? I said that we feel strongly that we are right and our way is right. We also think that our way is far superior. That it is obvious that if you don't choose our way, there's going to be disaster. Now, in Matthew 27, verse 19, it talks about Pontius Pilate. I thank God for the Bible because it talks about so many trite things, things that seem ordinary, but they are lessons for our lives. The Bible says, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Amen. Oh, if Pontius Pilate had listened to his wife. Some people say, oh, then Jesus would not have been crucified. I don't think so. I think that Satan would have looked for somebody else. A willing vessel. But the wife said, you know, he's gone to work already. In fact, he's already sitting on the judgment seat. And I've had this dream. And this dream was so real that I must save my husband. I must tell him that I have nothing to do with this man. Because what I suffered in the dream is not the usual. Now he's gone to work. There's no mobile phone. There are only servants I can send. Let me write a note. Maybe when he reads it from me, he will do what is right. But Pontius Pilate read it and he still did what he would do. So sometimes when love is not insisting on its way, it doesn't mean love does not share its opinions or what it thinks. So Pontius Pilate's wife is a good example. We'll come to other examples. Who shared how she felt, shared her spiritual experience, but it didn't change Pontius Pilate. He was deep into politics. He brought in Herod, this, that, that. What does it mean for the wife? I believe that she's absorbed from all judgment. Because whatever was passed on her or through her, she shared it. She gave it out. But she's not a personal Holy Ghost to make it happen. Amen? Yes, sometimes by divine wisdom, you may try to hammer what you are saying. You may try to get the person to do what you are saying. Not because it is your own way. You see, with this woman, she was trying to save her husband. By trying to save your husband, you're also trying to save yourself and your future and your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that is what makes people overly emotional, overly um, um, react. And then we may go beyond our boundaries. It's very frustrating when you know what is right and is not being done. But can you imagine that it's the same for God? It's very frustrating to him when he's doing all he can to make you see and you are not seeing. It's the same thing here. 
Now, I would say in our Christian context that, so what should Pontius Pilate's wife have done? The only option left was for her to have prayed. I don't know if she could have appeared herself in bodily form. Because in the Bible, there are examples of women influencing men. Even Delilah, who was not a wife, influenced Samson, three times deceived, three times he plays with it. You see, so this is love not seeking her way, but when you are an unbeliever, you can't also take your issues to the court of heaven. You can't ask God for wisdom to know even how to convey the message. So you do what you know to do best. But I think that when you are a child of God, one of the things I pray for a lot these days is wisdom. Because it's not just knowing right and wrong, but knowing right and right and which one you should do or what you should do is very important. Amen. This is a, a common scenario between husband and wife. When you look at Genesis 21 verse 10, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, this is Sarah, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For this bondwoman and her son shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Amen. That's Genesis 21 verse 10. Now when she says that to Abraham... In verse 11, the Bible says, And the thing was very grievous. Amplified says, Serious evil in Abraham's sight on account of his son Ishmael. Now Sarah shared her way, what she thought should be done, what, how she thought things should be. But she may also have been overly emotional. And so when she was, what she was conveying was true. But the way she was conveying it was different. She said, cast out this bond woman. Cast out this slave girl. She could have said, oh, send Hagar away. But Hagar, she doesn't even have a name. She's this bond woman. And she doesn't say send her away. She said, cast out. Okay. She's a demon. Cast out this bond woman, you know, and her son, and her son. And then she goes on, for the son of this bond woman, the son has a name, he's called Ishmael. But you see, sometimes when we are conveying something, we may say we are innocent, but in it, there's politics and there's other things. Amen, ladies. And it doesn't lend the ear for us to be heard. So she says, cast out this bond woman and her son. For the son of this bond woman shall not be heir with my son. Amen. Insisting on her own way. And in this way. And this is Abraham, the father of faith. And his wife, Sarah, the mother of faith both of whom have been mentioned in Hebrews 11, and they have this beast in their home. How much more you? 
Why do you think you are above challenges in marriage and in this life? Amen? Now let's see how God put it. You see, they were godly people. The Bible says that the thing was very serious evil in Abraham's sight. But of course, the Bible doesn't tell us that he talks. So typical male behavior, he is not verbal, but he is not happy. Amen? And God said to Abraham, don't let it seem grievous and evil to you because of the youth and your bond woman. God dealt with how Abraham was feeling. Abraham, don't worry. Don't, don't feel sad about it. Don't let it be grievous. That is very different from Sarah's way. Amen? In all that Sarah has said to you, ouch. In all that Sarah has said to you, mm. in all that Sarah has said to you, what? Do what she asks. My goodness. When God talks for you, he talks proper. When God speaks for you, he does a better job than cast out this bald woman. Her son and my son and the end, this one and the day and the day. You have clouded the whole thing because you are busy seeking your own way. But when God walks into Abraham's closet, God talks to Abraham. God says, don't be sad. Don't let it grieve you. But Abraham, King James says, listen to Sarah, your wife. Hey, I thought this was the Sarah who gave you Hagar and misled you. The fact that your spouse, your husband, your wife makes a mistake once does not stamp her for the rest of her life. That everything she says is evil because she gave you Hagar. No. Why didn't God say, Abraham, take the bond woman as I'm telling you, but he refers him to the voice of Sarah, your wife. And he says, in all that she has told you, do it. Hey, why? Is it the word of God? But that's what God said. So yes, Sarah made mistakes. Your spouse, your husband may make a mistake. But it doesn't mean that everything he says subsequently should be filtered through that mistake and be rendered foolishness. Amen? It doesn't mean that. She made a mistake, but the mistake is not his identity. He made a mistake. The mistake is not his name. Eh? I always say in the Bible, they call people by their problems. Blind Bartimaeus. Meanwhile, he was healed of blindness. The prodigal son. Meanwhile, he came home. Amen. The woman with the issue of blood. Meanwhile, she was healed and she didn't have issues anymore. But it's like, once you did this, Sarah, I will never listen to your advice again. Because you led me to Hagar. I will never listen to you again. But the God of mercy, he says, listen to the voice of Sarah, your wife. I didn't write the Bible. God wrote it. I believe that when we don't push our way too much, God speaks for you. And God knows how to touch your wife's heart, your spouse's heart, and turn it around. 
The Bible says the heart of the king is in God's hands. And he turns it. But before the heart is turned, between when you asked and the time when the heart will be turned, that middle day, that's when the misbehavior starts. That's when the bad thoughts start. That's when the bad fault-finding accusations start. Before God can do his surgery. Amen. May the Lord help us. And what happened? God also gives Abraham a promise. Say, do what she asks, for in Isaac shall your posterity be called. And I will make a nation of the son of the bond woman. Sarah has no plans for the son of the bond woman. That is why when you insist on your own way, you are likely to choose a crooked path. Because what you are saying may be true, but the way it is so tainted, it will not end up being a helpful way. Amen. Sarah would never have said, oh, you know, oh, what is Ishmael's future? As we are sending Ishmael to the wilderness, how will he live? What will happen to Hagar? She's lived with me for so many years. Her future may not be good. So Abraham, why don't we plan for their future? Nothing like that. Just cast her out and let's move on. Because her son will not be son with my son, with my heir, with my day, with that. Uh, Amen? Amen? But God says, I will make a nation of the son of the bondwoman also. Because he is your offspring. Abraham, I know you are grieved because of Ishmael. I know he's your son. I take that into consideration. And because of that, I want to calm your fears that I will take care of Ishmael. When we are insisting on our own way, we never look at how the other side feels. We never consider the interest of the other side. We never consider the effect on the other side. It's always our own way. And the fact that it's Sarah doesn't mean the brothers also don't do that. Amen. But God is not like that. When you co compare God to Sarah, you can see that we are far. Amen. God says, I'll take care of Ishmael. And when God addresses what affects Abraham, what is dear to him, what matters to him, the Bible says in verse 14, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Beloved, when you consider the other side, your spouse will rise up early to do what you are saying. Amen? Amen? But when you insist on your own way, your own interest, your, there's nothing about how Hagar will survive. Everything is about you. He rose up early in the morning. Sometimes I look at this passage and I wonder how can you give bread and a bottle of water for so many years ahead of this single mother and her son. But I believe that because God had promised that he would look after Ishmael, Perhaps the father of faith knew that this was not what they were going to live on. And he took bread and a bottle of water. This is usually Sarah's duty. Taking bread and a bottle of water. 
But now Abraham has to do it. Because Sarah, things must go her way. And when we insist on our own way, instead of God's way of kindness, mercy, forgiveness, putting yourself in the person's shoes, understanding, patience, all that, we end up not caring. As Abraham was packing bread, water, Sarah was asleep. Uh, and gave them to Hagar putting them on her shoulders and he sent her and the youth away and she wandered on aimlessly and lost her way in the wilderness of Beersheba Amen now Hagar seemed to have lost her way but God had a plan for Hagar. I mean, we're not going to read all that. But God had a plan for Hagar. And God opened her eyes to see a well in the wilderness. And God told her, look, your son is going to be a, a great prince. Your son is going to be the prince of 12 nations. So Hagar, don't worry. What led to Abraham's obedience is what people should learn. Not only even the context of marriage, but in the context of negotiating for anything. You know? To just think about the other person and how the other person feels. When you are insisting on your own way, you don't see the other person's will. No, 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 no. He doesn't have a case. Lady Reverend, this happened. No, no, no. She doesn't have a case. Hey. But look at God. How he deals with it. That's why you and I, we need divine wisdom. Because we are very some way. Now what will help us not to look on our own way? We'll come to more examples. Verse, um, Philippians 2 verse 4. Look not every man on his own things. But every man also on the things of others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Amen. If Sarah had read this verse and had obeyed this verse, perhaps Abraham would have known, oh, we are a team. She's helping me in spite of everything. So we'll be okay. But Sarah stood on one part. Abraham stood on one part. And that brings division in the home. The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot, not that it will not, it cannot stand. And Satan exploits our differences so that he will divide husband and wife, husband and children, children and husband, and all sorts of things. And when that happens, he doesn't have to do anything because the house will not stand. And that is his strategy. May we be delivered from always looking on our own things. Amen. The brothers. In the bedroom, you are looking on your own things. You are not considering what makes your wife happy. You are not considering what makes her flow. And every day when you come to my office, say, Lady Reverend, she's just stiff. She doesn't try. She doesn't, hey. There are ways that you can have your wife to be a, a jumping Jonathan. 
Amen. But when we say, so it's fire every day, now before, it's God who made them that way. We say in our marriage counseling book that brothers are like lights. As soon as you put on the switch, it comes on. That's how God makes you, made you. Ladies are like pressing iron. It takes a while. And you want us to be like you. Why do you think God made women without things that rise? Amen. They are just not made that way by God. Amen. But you see, the reason why some of these things bring problems is that everyone is looking on their own way. And everyone thinks a marriage uh, uh, conference is like a football match. Which side you are on? But there's no side. What there is, is the word of God. And so whichever one applies to you, put it in your pocket. And then allow the Holy Spirit to work with you on it. Amen, brothers. You see, when you look on your own things, when your wife says, oh, let's go out, say, share. When you're sick, I'll be well. So it's Valentine's Day, let's just go. Hey, who do And then she says, okay. Eh, we can buy if you like papaya or KFC or depending on your pocket we can go to the restaurant or then you say the restaurant do you know how much it is per head if it's 100 cities per head 200 what it told or cinema times how many times how many <laughs> you see you are always looking on your own things I'm not saying you should do things that will break the bank but allow yourself to come from the other side amen you never buy a gift for your wife never never the best you do is i mean i don't know what you want so it's christmas your hundred cities now koto bibi lady reverend whenever i buy it doesn't work whenever i buy it's work so learn it study Study what she likes and what works, and it will work. Amen, brothers. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. The wife, on the other hand, is always never in the mood. You see, Lady Reverend, me, I'm the romantic kind. So if you don't romance me, I can't flow. Hey. In our marriage counseling, we have dutiful sex and pleasurable sex. Even food. Sometimes you eat it out of duty, not out of pleasure. Amen. Sometimes even the food is not nice, but you just eat it. Because you just want something in your stomach to move on. It is the same way in the bedroom. Amen, sisters. And then when you are flowing dutifully, don't make it look so dutiful. I cannot hear my ma me, me run shift my bad duty. Make it so obvious. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to feel wanted. Everybody wants to feel accepted. Amen. 
you are always looking on your own things. I'll do this, 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 this. And then as for the bedroom, it's the last on your list. I know because I'm also a woman. In fact, it's often the last, especially when we are tired, the last. And you are surprised that for your husband, it's the first. How? In this day and age, and this hectic environment, it's your first. <laughs> but you have to take what the other person wants and make it yours and if the other person will also take what you want and make it theirs how peaceful our homes will be amen but it's not like that it's not like that we had a marriage conference a lady was there she said that the only two words my husband speaks to me is down and that's in the night she was very angry when she was speaking he will not chat with you he will not ask you how your day was he will not help you with anything as soon as the lights go off down <laughs> which means turn around sister love is insisting on its own way every day your own way every day your own way every style your own style never what your wife wants oh. And some of us too so rigid. We, we are not adventurous at all. I was baptized in SU. And that is how I will be until Jesus comes. So everything is like the second coming in rapture. Amen. Christian husbands are suffering. They can't say it. They have to be quiet. When the pastor has husband oh, pastor, powerful. And you're powerful. Power beyond the bedroom. Amen. But if we looked unto the things of others and accepted that, look, God made men differently. And God says that we should not defraud one another when it comes to sexual things. So, yes, Lord, I'm tired, but I'm going to flow. Marriage is sacrifice. And sacrifice is hard. And sacrifice is not always easy. You see, when you were in the world, we had to try and stop you from fornicating. Now that you have married, you have become Virgin Mary. What is the meaning of that? Amen. Look, every man, not on his own things, but also on the things of others. Love does not insist on its own way. Sometimes you hear something you know that is not true, it's not right, it's not so. But as you are saying it, it's not going. So you need divine wisdom to know when to speak, if at all. And to know when you shouldn't speak at all. It all takes divine wisdom. And that is all that makes marriage complex. Amen. In our Akampalans, they say, oh, Orokwawar, as if you are just going to Laboni. That Laboni exists already, so you are going there. You see, so when they say Orokwawar, you feel that the war has been made like an estate, like Laboni. But nothing exists. When you get married, you are now coming to build the Laboni estate. You are now a building contractor. 
Afians are called sand, any stones, any cement, concrete mixer, and all that to come and build the kind of home you want. It's not ready made. Now, when you came, now this is the home we have. When you see people, you say, hmm, have you seen these people? Like my mother and my father, they were married for virtually 50 years. And you, you are married three months. Three months, you say you are going. 50 years, it doesn't even reach your age. Like the, the, the length of their marriage, your age has not even reached there. And then when we say, they could stand some things. But in this day and age, look, the word of God has not changed to become day and age. Amen. Look not on our own things. If you know that the way you are talking to your wife, that disrespect, that is not how you would like to be spoken to. Don't speak to her that way and tell her that. She, she is not submissive. I mean, even God, he shows us some dignity. He shows us some value. So how can you talk to her anyhow and say that because she's a Christian woman, you can just talk to her anyhow. And when it's you, even there, she should not say there. It's a problem. But it's because we are not looking on the ways of others. We are insisting on our own way. What I want. What makes me happy. What makes me joyful. What makes me comfortable. As for you, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. But if we are not insisting on our own way, we will take what makes the other party happy. It's your wife's birthday. You don't even remember. I know that brothers are not good at remembering dates. So sisters, if that's the reason why you are going to divorce him and think you will remarry, then you will be remarrying every year. Because many brothers don't remember dates, anniversaries, a few do, but some don't. My husband often remembers my birthday, but I remember many years ago, he forgot my birthday and I was with him in the house. Hey, brother, I was looking. No happy birthday even. <laughs> As I was there, I realized that it was 2.30 in the afternoon. So I took a birthday card from my drawer and I wrote inside, happy birthday to me. <laughs> Two exclamation marks. And then I wrote his name behind, I gave it to him. He said, what is this? I said, oh, a card somebody brought to you. When he opened, he said, ah, Happy birthday to me. What does it mean? I said, because today is my birthday. Said, oh, sister, you are somewhere. Oh. So because I forgot. <laughs> Amen. So when your husband forgets, remember my story and let it comfort you. There's nothing new under the sun. Almost all challenges are common challenges. What does the Bible say? No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. Common to man. But God is faithful. With every temptation, he will provide the way of escape. Amen, somebody. Love does not insist, insist, insist on its own way. 
The reason why sometimes we insist on our own ways is because we feel that our own way is um, superior. For instance, you in your house, Christmas 25th, that's the day you visit people. You go from house to house, this auntie, this uncle, you go. Then you come and marry somebody like me. In my house, 25th, we don't go anywhere. And we lock our gate, just us. In our house. When we, you come, the security man will tell you that we are sorry you cannot enter today. And what are we doing in the house? We are doing drama, poetry, everybody does something, some display, mother, father, all of us, including the maids. And then we eat uh, to the day ends. That's how it is. Then I come and marry you. Then you say that on 25th, we should go and visit Wafaya, Wafaya this, hey. And then I say that, ah, 25th day, that's not how you celebrate it. That's not how. 25th is quiet. It's supposed to be for family and family alone. You're not supposed to go anywhere. Then you say, what are you talking about? 25th is when you visit loved ones and show them your love. And you are both right. But what you don't know is that you are insisting that your way is the right way. That was your tradition from your home. That was the man's tradition from his home. Now that the two of you have come together, create your own tradition that will work for the both of you. Amen. But when you insist on your own way, you see, you feel that how you were brought up, that's the superior one. But maybe how you were brought up has also made you very reserved and uh, inclusive and you, you, you don't know how to mingle with family members. And you feel that you are superior because of that. It doesn't follow, it's just different. And if we would look on the others, oh, okay, so in your house, you went out or that's the time people visited you, oh, okay. And I think we can do that on one of the days. And on the other day, it will be just us and the children and everybody at home. Can that work? It can work. Compromise also helps. Amen. But no, you insist on your own way. And you say, well, even Christmas tree. But when you married your husband, you brought a trust in a That's what makes marriage complex. We are all from different places. We have different values. We celebrate things differently. We have to, but that should not be a reason for the breakdown of the relationship. It should be that so we have now brought our building materials and we are now going to build our own also construction and see what suits us. Our children too will also build their own. Taking some from here and taking some from there. And that will let that insisting on your own way go out of the way. And sometimes you don't even know it's your own way. So you are sad, you are angry, you are, but it's because you are insisting on your own way. When I look at God, I say, hey, how did God know all these things? To write that love suffers long, love does not insist on it. Ah, how? It must be divine for God to know all this. Amen. Finally, even God doesn't always insist on his own way. Amen. God has very good reasons 
and sound reasoning for his views or his stance. But he still doesn't insist on his own way. First Samuel chapter 8 from verse 3 to 5. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after Luca and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Amen. The Israelites hitherto had never chosen a leader themselves. God always chose who should be the prophet. And often it was even in genealogy, like if your father is a prophet, you will be a prophet. If your father is a Levite, you are in the Levite family. And Israel took it upon themselves that, you know, Samuel, things are really going wrong. Your sons are misbehaving. The Bible says that they were sleeping with the women at the temple door. They were abhorring the offering of the Lord. They were taking bribes. I mean, this is the Bible writing that. They were taking bribes. They perverted judgment. They didn't walk in the ways of Samuel. That's what the Bible says. Then the, el- the elders of Israel gathered themselves to Samuel and said that, Samuel, because your sons are behaving this way, we are also bringing our own way and our own ways that you must have a king. The fact that your husband, your spouse is doing something wrong does not give you the permission to subvert God's ways and choose your own way. Amen, somebody. And this was all they were saying about God. Now, when we see that people are wrong, it leads us to have a sense of superiority like these elders of Israel and a sense of judgment. And we move into a place of correction that is not ours. God made each of us in his image and gave us free will so that we can choose what we want. He counsels, he persuades us, sometimes he even sends consequences, but he doesn't take over our free will. Amen. God had already said that. He will correct some of these things, like the sons of Eli. God said they are doing, uh, it was the sons of Eli. God said they are doing this, they are doing this, sleeping with the woman in the tent, whatever, not the sons of Samuel. And he said, I will deal with it. He had previously dealt with the misbehavior of Eli's sons. Amen? In 1 Samuel chapter 2. And after that, God brought his own judgment. But when this thing happened, sometimes we personalize issues too much and it affects us unduly. God told Samuel, in 1 Samuel 8 verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, hearken to the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not be king over them. Amen. Samuel overpersonalized what the Israelites did. He thought that it was about him. 
So God, they've rejected me. Look at how they are behaving. They've re- it was in his heart and his head and all that. So when we personalize issues too much, it affects us unduly. We need to analyze properly and seek God's face for a divine perspective. Amen. God didn't say, because uh, Samuel's children are unruly, I've changed the way you will be governed, Israel. I've now decided that I'll give you a king. God said, no, I don't want a king for you. And Israel insisted, we want a king. And God said, okay, Samuel, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. They want a king. So give them a king. So when your husband insists, when your wife insists, especially husbands because they are the head, and then you do what the head wants. Now you say, "Mm, it's his own matter. He has decided. He has made his bed. He should lie in it. That's not what God does. God helped them to choose a king even though he didn't support their choosing a king. Amen? Can you come to that place of spiritual maturity? Can you? When something is said, you don't agree. Not necessarily even something moral, but you don't agree. It's like you have another perspective of how it should be done. And then the people are insisting, you are God. If it were some of you, you would burn all the elders of Israel to rubbish so that they would know where power resides. And that power resides in you. Your wife must see where power lies. So when you are angry, you take the car keys. She will walk today so that she will see who bought the car. I've done counseling when people have said something to their husbands. And even the last one, what the person was saying was also true. And then as she's sitting on the porch having a quiet time, he comes, a man of God. And he just walks out very angry. The wife is in the 90s, sitting outside on the porch, doing her, having a quiet time. And he locks the door. So after her quiet time, she has no way to go inside. She's wearing her 90, nowhere to go, no whatever to do. So as she was narrating the story, I said, oh my God. So what did you do? Oh, I saw that bed sheet be a house girl so I used that to cover myself. Then I took my phone, I called my carpenter, and I removed the whole door. <laughs> and I went in, go Jerry, fine, Miss Poti, and I call out. When the man came, no door. <laughs> and he's holding the keys. <laughs> then he also comes and he says, No door. I'll show you where power lies. And he begins to remove her things from the wardrobe and throw it out. What is happening? Everybody is going their own way. And it's bringing confusion, madness. And Satan is saying, go ahead. You are anointed. I support you. Yeah, yeah. Amen. It's not everything you will agree with. It's not even everything you will see. Because you are not God. Amen. And so when your husband, who God has designated to be the head, or sometimes even your spouse says that she's doing this, you know that it's not correct like God. He says he's going to do this. I remember my dad, he used to build in his 80s, 84, he's building, 86, he's sending materials to, he's doing this then, 
he had some building. He said that he's pulling it down to make a hotel. Hey, we're all against it, especially my mom. So my mom said, hotel for what? Do you know what a hotel entails? A hotel entails a lot of things. You have to make rooms. You have to buy beds. You have to do towels. You need people to look after at this age. Well, he just listened. A few days after dawn, he said, Gina, that's all my mother knows. So my mother went for Bible class, driving by the building. She saw cranes articulated. Hey! They were pulling down the building. Hmm. He set up his hotel. I was with him in London as he was buying his towel, his this, his that, made showers, made this, made that. And he started. When he started, he saw that it's not easy. Even before that, he told my husband, Bishop, I'm building a hotel. My husband said, hey, a hotel is not easy, daddy. My father had a hotel. They will steal from you. They would do this. It's very hard. Mm, it's very hard. Mm, it's very. Hard. But he did it. When he did it, later I went to talk. I said, mm, "So you people know, nobody is interested in helping in this hotel, eh? Nobody is interested in bringing their efforts to bear on." I didn't say anything. <laughs> and now, how to run the hotel? He was running it, but it wasn't easy. And he goes, hey. Then my mother would be quiet. It's like she doesn't want to say something. She said that. It's wo hotel as wo But at a point, she saw that she has to intervene. She didn't intervene much, but she tried. So like God, you have told the person, don't do it. But when you see that the thing is going another way, because you are not looking just on your things like god you help the person in the very thing you said he shouldn't do and that is divine it's not easy amen it doesn't mean that you should follow your husband into any foolish thing you see i will not be able to talk about all the facets of this abigailism where you know the person is doing wrong and you need wisdom and Abigail's heart to do what you have to do. But when Abigail came back, she was still a wife to Nabal. Can you still be a spouse to your husband even when he is not doing things the way you want? But it's, it's not necessarily sinful, but it's different. Can you? When he says, the children are going to school here, and you say, no. They must go to GIS. And he says, I don't have the dollars to pay. They are not going to say, mm, let them go. Then the children's homework, you won't touch. Dropping them, you won't go. Because oh, no, I know choose school, no mom. What is that? When God said, don't choose a king. And they said, we want a king. He said, Samuel, don't worry. I'll choose a king for them. Go and anoint Saul. This is how you will find him do this, that he speaks to Saul, that he works on Saul, that he gives Saul another heart, so that even in the midst of their mistake, they will not be destroyed. That is love. And that is love not seeking its own way. And it's at another level, I will tell you. It's at another level. When God gave me this word, I'm like, wow. 
it's not easy. But God says, love does not insist on its own way. And I believe that when you look on the things of others, on the things of the other party, I believe that we will come to a good place. Amen. We hope you've been blessed. This message continues the next time this program is aired.